Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Hollywood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with the Royal Bank of Scotland. The Royal Bank has been part of Scottish communities for almost 300 years, helping businesses thrive, growing the economy, supporting customers to manage their money and to fulfil their financial dreams. From the world's first overdraft to the first fully-fledged internet banking service, the Royal Bank of Scotland has always innovated to make banking easier for customers. Today, the Royal Bank supports around one in three Scottish businesses and is one of the largest banks in Scotland for personal customers. It also remains one of Scotland's largest private sector employers, contributing millions of pounds to the economy each year. As we approach the Royal Bank's third centenary in 2027, the bank's commitment to Scotland and to championing the potential of the people, families and businesses who call Scotland their home remains as strong as ever. The podcast starts now. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. We are recording on the evening of Friday the 16th of February and for better or worse we've brought the podcast to the pub once again. This time at Scottish Labour Party Conference in Glasgow. Welcome to Socky Hall Street, Jeff Aberdeen and Andy McKeever. Hello! Hello. That's the first time we've done that. Well, usually you get to go first, but Callum always realise that doesn't doesn't work so well. It's because you uh, think you're in such a bad (laughs) mood. (laughs) You go first, and then you brighten it, you know, lower the mood, and then I have to pick things back up again. Let's have a look. There were 30 seconds in, and that's the first swear word from from McKeever. It's fine. There'll be a beep on it. Uh, Right in the room. You're used to this by now. Uh, We've got MPs. We've got uh, candidates to be MPs. And on this podcast, you will hear from Anna Sarwar, the Scottish Labour leader today as well, who's delivered a speech to party conference. Jeff, in terms of uh, day one of party conference, what's your assessment of it? I think one of the themes that um, you're going to hear from our guests tonight is just the buzz, I think, is to, to sum it up. Yeah, and I, I have to say, you know, I... I Obviously, I haven't been to, to many Labour Party conferences in my time, <laughs> yeah. but I've been to many SNP conferences in my time, and I can tell you that this kind of buzz that you talk about, it does feel pretty familiar, and it pre- feels familiar to me when I started going in 2006 and seven to party conferences, four and five weren't particularly enthusiastic, yeah. but when you started to get towards the 2007 election, there's that anticipation could we actually do this? 
and it does feel like that right now. And that's perhaps not surprising given they've just come on the back of uh, two whopping big by-election victories down south. But there's certainly a, an aura of expectation and excitement. I will say on the podcast today you'll hear from activists, you'll hear from Anna Sarwar, sure, you'll hear from journalists as well, pollsters, uh, other advisors as well. We've got Eddie Barnes on the podcast who's worked for the Scottish Conservatives and now uh, at Gordon Brown's Think Tank. So you'll get a sense of what today has felt like. Andy, what's your assessment? Well, look, you know, any political party conference with more than 34 people in the room feels very unfamiliar to me, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I actually, um, you know, I, I, could, I could bluff this. Uh, as I have to some of the MSPs and MPs earlier on, but the truth is I wasn't in the room today. I was, I was, I was, I was on the, I, I was on the M6 coming oh up from Centre Parks. I've been on my family holiday to Centre Parks. Rachel and the kids, as we speak right now, are at the cinema, uh, and I am here doing the podcast and promising them a, a, a night in the Premier Inn. I so um, I had a look at the uh, the extracts from Anasarwar's speech, and I spoke to a lot of people when I got here, uh, and it's very clear this is something a little bit different. I'm going to ask. Ask uh, Kat Headley, who we've got on later on about this, actually, as an activist, just how different this speech today felt to a normal party political conference speech where you usually chuck a bunch of red meat at members. Today, I felt that Anas Arwar's speech was aimed at the country, not at the room. And I think it's a massive thing to do at a party conference, and it's not all that common. Economy, 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 that was what the whole speech was about, because he knows that's where elections are won. Shall we get into it? I want to start actually with friend of the podcast, Absolute Don. He knows more about Scottish elections than anyone you'd care to mention. Here's John Boothman from the Times and the Sunday Times. Hi, John. How are you doing? Yeah, good. What does this Scottish Labour conference, as far as Anna Sarwar and Scottish Labour are concerned, what does it need to do? What does it need to achieve? Look, I think it's worth saying right now, I know you're not going to believe this, right, but I've been coming to these Scottish Labour conferences, <laughs> right, for 40-something years. Right? No. I, know, I know you wouldn't believe that. You but came as a primary school I can child, take I don't believe back, that. Right? <laughs> I can take you back, right, to the Gascarton by-election in the late 1970s, followed by another couple of by-elections. There was one in East Lothian, uh, where John Hume Robertson won for Labour. Uh, in fact, uh, I saw Malcolm Robertson over the back there. His father won the Hamilton by-election in the late 1970s, and Margot MacDonald was the SNP candidate. Um, so I've been around the block at these conferences. Um, look, for a long time, as we know, right, the Labour Party in Scotland has been in the doldrums. And I saw something interesting today. All you guys, for example, were at the SNP conference in Aberdeen. It is very clearly the case that the interest in this conference, if you looked at the number of stalls and compared the SNP in Aberdeen with this conference here in Glasgow, I mean, I sort of think there was probably about twice as many. The sort of people who are coming to this conference, I've talked to a couple of consuls from Edinburgh there, some big business chief executives at this uh, truly splendid reception. John, John, that's nothing to do with Labour, that's to do with... That's you know, right, that's, that's truly the, the, the reception. To, to, <laughs> truly impressive, Jeff. I think that's right. But look, the other thing that I actually do genuinely think is worth saying was that I saw in that 58-minute speech today, right, a kind of, like, maturity in Anasarwar that I haven't seen before. There was an authority about Anasarwar that I saw today that I haven't seen before. Now, a lot of that comes out of confidence. You know, they've had a bad couple of weeks. They've had these two great by-elections yesterday. There's a bit of confidence, a bit of buzz, right? The, of course, the, the hint of caution that you need to have about this. You know, Labour have been talking in the past couple of weeks at the forthcoming general election of needing, or their magic number is 26 seats in Scotland. Now, they only won one in 2019. They've won a by-election last year. It's an absolutely huge ask to win more than 20 seats at a general election in Scotland. If they're to win 26 seats, I think there's more than half a dozen of them. Um, they would need to overtake SNP majorities of more than 10,000 votes. And that, as we all know, right, would be an absolutely massive thing to do. They're doing well in the polls. You, depends what poll you read, but it kind of looks almost equal between Labour and the SNP by and large, right? Um, you know, for Labour to be able to do that is just, it would be immense. Can I ask you a question, John, though, just from the, the media perspective? Um, 
I get a sense that people are largely treating Labour like a de facto government across the UK. They're now starting to be challenged like they are the government, right? Because they're so far ahead in the polls and they're um, winning by-elections by an absolute country mile. Do you sense within the media that there's a greater appetite or requirement to scrutinise them more than otherwise would be the case if it was a more close-run thing? I don't have any doubt about that, Jeff. I mean, I think that's absolutely the case. Again, you know, one of the criticisms that people have had of Star Starmer in London, and obviously in Asarwar here in Scotland, is that the cupboard looks kind of bare yeah. when you look at the policies. I mean, again, if you go back to 97, you know, Gordon Brown uh, took the same approach as Rachel Reeves is taking in terms of, you know, the fiscal rules and sticking by, you know... Uh, making sure that you know the economy is in a sound place, uh, really not wanting to uh, trigger lots of uh, big increases in public spending. But if you go back to 19, 1997, what Labour did have then was this huge pro programme of constitutional reform, not just in uh, Scotland but Wales and England as well. And that took some time to bring through. Gordon Brown himself had that masterstroke, as people saw at the time, in the first couple of days after the election of making the Bank of England independent. And you kind of don't really have that sense that Starmer's got anything like that. Um, and the same applies in Scotland. If I were to go to the people in this room in the Labour Party and say, what you got in the cupboard specifically for Scotland in the first hundred days, I don't often get that much back. Do you know, I think it's interesting, though, I agree the cupboard is bare, right? And uh, if you look at his MSP group, there's a little bit of depth. There's not a lot of breadth. You know, you, you, there, there's a, a, you need to bulk that up an awful lot. But you know what I think the difference is sometimes? And, you know, everybody sitting around this table, we all know Anna Sarwar pretty well. But today, more than I think any other time I've seen him, and I've spent a fair bit of time with him, he just looked like the boss today. He just looked like the boss today. And sometimes you just need somebody who just looks like the boss to the population to say, actually, you know what? I don't mind that much that he's not saying too much. I don't mind that much who he's got around him. I just think this guy's going to do a better job and I think I'm going to put my trust in him. And he could do good business based on that. That's good in electoral terms and I don't have any doubt about that. But I think your more general point, right, is, is and it's a substantial point, um, a point of substance, which is, I'm not sure, looking around again, um, that the, the bandwidth that Scottish Labour have got is what it could be. Again, if I take you back to 97, um, if you look at the Scots that went to Westminster in 97, you know, Robin Cook, Gordon Brown, Alistair Darling, Helen Liddell, uh, Gavin Strang was in the Cabinet, George Robertson was in the Cabinet, and you look at the candidates, now don't get me wrong, there's some really good candidates, Douglas Alexander, Kirsty O'Neill, Martin McCluskey, but it's not the same number and it's not the same quality. And if you look back at the first Scottish elections, they had a fair number of people apart from Donald Dew that fitted the bill, Jack McConnell, dare I say it, Susan Deacon, Wendy Alexander <laughs> and others. Um, and I don't have that sense um, that when you get beyond... You know, Anas, Jackie Bailey, Kate Watson, who's the great engineer of a lot of it, um, and a half a dozen of these candidates, somehow or other they need more ballast around that. Somehow or other they need to work out what these arrangements are going to be. Ian Murray, of course, has to be mentioned as well in all of that calculation, but I still think it's a wee bit thin. John Boothman, thank you very much. Great to see you. Uh, right here in the corner of the haberdashery on Socky Hall Street as part of Scottish Labour Party conference, we've got Eddie Barnes with us. Hello, Eddie. Hello. Uh, Hello would you like, you? I'm very well. Would you like to give our listeners your CV? Because you've done a lot in your time. Currently, um, <laughs> I'm director of the Our Scottish Future think tank, run by, set up by Gordon Brown to make the case for uh, a more positive case for Scotland in the UK. Prior to that, I was uh, I worked for uh, Scottish Conservatives as their head of comms with Davidson and then... Before that, I was a journalist for many years. And up at what point? At what point in your lifetime did you see? Have you seen the light? Which, <laughs> which one of these has been the right decision? Like, well, I think I, I've always thought there were kind of like in journalism, you tend to kind of like, you know, you're used to just kind of going 
going around with whatever job offers are around. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think there's been any kind of method in, the, in my career so much as just what's out there and I'll take it up. Yeah, fair, fair. Uh, in terms of what you're sort of picking up here at the Scottish Labour Conference this year, um, Anna Sarwar is, I think it's fair to say, buzzing. He's, he says it's yeah. the biggest conference. You know, you can understand the reasons why. Polling is looking good. What's your sense? When you, when you look back over the kind of history of Scottish Labour particularly, what's your sense of 2024 for Scottish Labour? The, the, I mean, as you say, the, the feeling around this conference is uh, a party that's got the big mo. And um, it was quite, you know, in some ways just coming today to almost as an observer. And I was thinking back to the time when, you know, when, when I was working for Ruth Davidson, when the Scottish Tories were on the, were on the up, and arguably we had the, the big mo in that kind of period around after the independence referendum. And it does feel quite similar. It feels like, uh, you know, you, when you've got the wind at your back, you know, Anas is the guy. He is the change candidate around at the moment. Scottish Labour is the change party. And it's, it's, it's you know, they are, they are simply kind of riding that wave at the moment. That's how it feels in the, in the Scottish, Scottish Labour Party. Isn't it? Eddie's, Eddie's being modest, too modest, really, because actually if you look back to uh, 2016, 2015, 2016, Eddie, along with uh, a guy called Mark McInnes, who in politics we know very well, but probably the listeners may not know quite as well now, Lord McInnes uh, and Ruth Davidson were the three people who really crafted the Tory strategy that got a lot of unionist votes to vote Tory. Um, and I think that's really interesting in the context of what's happening with Labour now because a lot of those unionist votes are now gravitating back to Labour because they're votes that are less focused on party ideology and more focused on strengthening the union. I think that's quite interesting from the point of view of what Eddie's doing now is just his ability to pinpoint how you get unionists to vote for a particular unionist party. Because I think what we're seeing when we look at the polls, the Tories' vote has gone largely gone back to a core vote of what it was when I was doing the job that Eddie used to do. Not, not, not what it was when Eddie was doing the job that he used to do. Um, and a lot of that vote is transferred to Labour uh, because it wasn't really a Tory vote, it was a unionist vote, which Eddie managed to really very successfully exploit. So I think it's interesting, Eddie, that that vote is shifting back to Labour. And is it just as simple as people looking at Labour and saying, well, they're going to be in Downing Street, they're now the ones to strengthen the union, not the Tories? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, you're, just, you're talking about what, you know, let's, let's say, what, 25, 30% of the voting uh, population in Scotland. And as you say, that vote is quite transactional. It's who is going to stand up and who's the best person to stand up for the union in this area. It's very tactical still, so I mean, I don't think that it's all gone to Labour. I think you'll still see quite strong conservative uh, uh, results in areas where they are uh, seen as the unionist party, so the South and the North East. Even, and, and you'll see the same with the Liberal Democrats, by the way, you know, in parts of Fife, maybe in the north of Glasgow here. So it's a transactional vote. What's happened is yeah. that where well, Labour was seen five years ago, four years ago, as essentially, uh, you know, extremely equivocal on the union and not to be trusted. I mean, you know, the party of Jeremy Corbyn basically didn't believe in Britain. Um, I think what Anas has done successfully, you know, and he has a track record, let's think, it goes back 10 years when he was writing the new, people remember him in the Better Together campaign. He does believe in it. He really does believe, I think, in the idea of Scotland in the UK and that cooperative relationship uh, that he was talking about at conference today. So yeah, I think, you, you know, if you are a unionist voter, if that is the thing that you really care about, I think most of them have now thought, well, I can trust this guy. And I may not be Labour, as you say. And the other thing he's saying today, interestingly, on things like tax, he's very moderate. He's quite kind of middle of the road. So if you are that classic middle class, uh, you know, unionist voter, this is a guy that's probably going to do the business for you. Yeah, I was just going to make the point, I'm, I don't buy in too much to this whole soft unionist vote and all the rest of it coming back to At the end of the day, um, they're pretty, you know, the Scottish electorate is pretty clever. And um, I think you just touched on it, Eddie. In the areas where the Tories are strong, they'll remain pretty strong in the northeast and the borders. And where Labour uh, can challenge the SNP, I think uh, the Tory vote will go there. I think that we've seen that yeah. before in recent uh, elections. I suppose my question to you, though, is uh, let's step ahead. I think we all accept now, particularly after the two by-elections yesterday, I mean, I I've made a case that there could be a revival for the Tories and you never know what happens with the budget and what happens with the economy going forward, but it looks pretty unlikely. 
So let's look ahead to 2026 and where the numbers are just now. The Labour Party aren't seeing the inroads to the same extent uh, north of the border. And it could well be that we're le ending up in a position where the Tories and the Labour Party might have to form some sort of an agreement or coalition with the Liberal Democrats to uh, oust the SNP and Greens. Would you be in favour of that? And would you advise, from a position of being a former Tory advisor, where do you see that as a likelihood? Well, Jeff, I think the, the model is... You, you've given us the model, Jeff. You know, it's, the, it's what the SNP did. In, you know, in 2007, when, you know, you, you, you managed to get it... You've, A, got into power and managed to establish that you, sh you had the right to, to get into power, even though you were in, in minority. And then very kind of cleverly managed to keep the Tories on board as it was then, to, to in order to keep a, to pass a budget and to keep a government in power. And you know, Talk about that, you know they don't like they don't like to mention the fact that it was Annabelle Goldie that propped Alex Hammond up for four years. Absolutely. <laughs> by and way, by the way, it worked brilliantly. The, Tory, the famous Tory listen, SNP listen, coalition. We played brilliant. you all like kippers. Absolutely, you did. <laughs> Done you like kippers. <laughs> like the Greens are doing to you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> You, anyway, carry on, Eddie. Sorry, this is not about them. It's about you. But, there, the, <laughs> but there's the model, right? I mean, there is the model. I mean, if the SNP can do it, if the, if the nationalist SNP can do it with the unionist Tories, then I'm pretty sure that the, you know, a moderate Labour Party can do it with what is up here a pretty moderate Conservative Party. And it's not a formal thing. It's not in any way. It's not even ah, you, you informal. Would do, you wouldn't do a formal, because that's I mean, an important part, because we saw what happened to the Labour Party after Better Together last time. I mean, and, and, I mean it, was, it was a manna from heaven for the SNP when, when, when they you know, joined together in 2014. And that's why I was really keen to tease out. So you'd say it in a more informal relationship as opposed to a formal coalition. But, as I, say, I, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even describe it as informal. I think it'll just be... You get, what are you going to, I mean, the Labour could just turn to the Tories and say, well, what else are you going to do? So that is well, what else are you, are you seriously going yeah. to, you know, like, vote us down? Yeah. After, after yeah. Well, how many years have you guys been in? 16? Something I mean, like that? There is absolutely... But, this, but at this, the same time, I'm sure there'll be discussions around, and by the way, you want a thousand extra cops or whatever it happens to be. I don't know. You know, yeah. but it's not but even in no, but I don't even I don't even think it needs to get there. No, the, Eddie just mentioned a thousand extra police officers delivered in the first parliament yes. of a minority government now by listen, the SNP. This, Thank is, you a, this is an important point because people are going to start talking about this more and more, especially after the general election. People are going to talk about this a lot. And it's an important point to clarify because there is a bit of talk of this in the parliament already. What happens if Anas actually loses the election? but the unionists have a majority in the parliament and therefore are asked a chance of being elected first minister. I think it's important to understand the mentality here. The Tory leader, whoever it is, Douglas at the time most likely, has to back Anas Sarwar. His supporters will not let him take any other option. He's got to put a unionist in Butte House. He cannot allow a nationalist to be in Butte House. The Tory support, the Tory core vote will not allow that. So he will vote for Anas Sarwar to be First Minister and Anas Sarwar, and he will not extract any concessions whatsoever. It will just happen because the Tories will have to put Labour into government as opposed to the SNP. need to vote for it, he could just abstain. And on that note, but, uh, but, uh, oh, go sorry, go, no, on, go on, sorry. No, I was just going to, I was going to wrap us up so you can go and have a drink, but you can't. Oh, fine, on. no, no, no. That's it. I'm enjoying I'm your profundity. Are you sure? <laughs> well, the drinks are on, Jeff, so make sure you rinse them. Uh, thank you very much, Eddie. Pleasure. Great to see you. Eddie Barnes, lovely stuff. He's had a very interesting career, actually. I thought it was a very interesting discussion. We'll have to get him back on. Do you know what? I know we're running through things quite quickly just now, yeah. but I thought when I was in uh, government, Eddie was a journalist. And, uh, you know, there's some journalist inquiries that come in, and this is just a fact of life, uh, that you look and you go, oh, no. But with, with Eddie, he was very thoughtful in his journalism and very, very uh, uh, direct. And you knew, you knew that whatever he was raising, he had substance behind it. It wasn't just a taking, a, you know, kite flying. I hit and hope. Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of thought behind it. And uh, he actually, he commanded a lot of respect in the parliament, actually. Um, good guy. It was really great to catch up with him, actually. It was yeah. good fun. Gravitas. Yeah. Gravitas. Love that. <laughs> Let's welcome to the sofa, Kat Headley, activist, lawyer, all-round Labour enthusiast, I think it's fair to say. I think that's a fair summation. Welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much. Kat, how are you feeling on day, at the end of day one on Scottish Labour Conference? I'm feeling buoyed. I mean, I have, um, it's actually 10 years since I first came to a Scottish Labour conference and I've never been to a Scottish Labour conference like this. Um, it what's, is, what's different? Well, first of all, I don't think there has ever been a, 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 sort, of, a sort of end of night after party <laughs> sort of event like this with, you know, a podcast being broadcast 
broadcast live where there is canopies, there's being, canopies you know, being delivered, delivered. to the host what, what as, they? they're, as they're going. Oh, beef, yeah, yeah, you got me a roast beef, no I problem mean, at all. Don't mind if I we, drink. Sorry, Kat, go I on. have to say that we didn't we didn't get this in the in the Richard Leonard days, that's for sure. So um <laughs> We, um, it is. It has been a di very different conference, and, and and also, you felt that at, when I was in Liverpool for the UK conference uh, in October, and that was just on the heels of the Rutherglen, Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election. And the feeling, the, um, the the sort of sense of real propulsion that was coming from Scottish Labour that was went that injected into that Labour conference was amazing and it felt great. And, and, and today we've got the kind of reverse. We've got, we've got a Scottish conference that is coming on the back of two massive by-election victories in England, so uh, it's it's it's. I think all think you know. It's a great time to be a Scottish Labour member, and I have to say, having been one for now a ten and a half years, that's the first time I've probably said that. Well, I'm going to tell you a story just now uh, that Cat uh, uh, and I were once doing STV Scotland Tonight, and uh, I'm a former advisor, and I'm, and I'm not a member of the SNP, and I haven't been for some time. But I provide a bit of analysis on, on the television, and we were up we're up with Cat one night. And the presenter, Rona, uh, uh, said, uh, I just go for it, guys. Go at each other, right? And, and Kat kind of went, OK, fair enough. <laughs> and took me to the f***ing cleaners, right? And I was like, and I was like, wait a minute. I thought this was going to be a nice balanced discussion. Anyway, what that well got done, me Kat. thinking, well two done. questions, two questions, genuinely. Um, what, what it made me think was, wow, what a capable performer. So why aren't you standing? And I want you to answer that. But secondly, or will you stand, for example, in the, in, in the holiday lectures? But secondly, I, I want to turn it around a bit, Bill. We're all here and there's a good buzz and I think it's fair to say everyone's excited. What can go wrong for Labour? Where's the weakness here? Because ultimately, and I think we've got to remember this, the SNP are still ahead of the Labour Party in a lot of polls. And so this, this excitement that's, that's down south is not particularly transcending north of the border. Why not? And what can they do to arrest that? Well, I'm going to answer your first question directly, which probably will explain why I'm not standing as a politician or trying to be an elected politician. I think, for, for me personally, I actually really love being a solicitor. I love my job as a lawyer. I love the firm that I work at. And I also love the fact that I get to do all of these things around about it. And for me, if you want, like, this is going to sound like really, really egotistical, but I think I'd, I'd probably be a, a competent MP, MSP, all that above. But it has to be about more than that. If you want to be an MP, I think that it has to be about more than just wanting to be able to do the job well. And for me, my calling, I feel, is to be a lawyer and doing the work that I do to helping the people that I do on a day in day out basis and I love it and I love the people that I work with and I love being a, a new partner in the firm that I am in. I also love the, the capacity to be able to do the outside work that I do in terms of doing stuff with labour, doing stuff with labour adjacent organisations and doing and political commentary. So that is my serious answer to you is that I actually just love the life that I have and the job that I have and as much as it is as an honour to be, so... And the second question? The second question... <laughs> Listen, I was just being nice to you. Yeah, I want to know the second one. <laughs> just warming you up. The second question in relation... Absolutely, I mean, everything about... And NASA's speech today about the, the, the basically the narrative around it. I mean, and, uh, Keir Starmer, after stonking by-election victories last night, was that, yeah, OK, we're doing well, but we know that this, the job is not done. There is absolutely no complacency here. I mean, frankly, the Labour Party throws it away so often when it comes to general elections that nobody is expecting this to be in the bag. Everyone is acting as though this isn't, this isn't done and dusted, particularly in Scotland. I'm out um, in particularly Edinburgh Eastern and Musselburgh um, for, uh, on the doors there. And it is really interesting because you feel the potential for a Labour win, but it, it's not in the bag. What are, you, what are you saying to people on the doorsteps? This is always an interesting thing, I think. What are you saying to them when you knock on the door, they open it, and maybe they're a bit sceptical? What are you saying to them? So the conversation, I mean, it, it's very much on a case-by-case -case basis because the conversation you have is very much dictated to by the person that you're speaking sure, to. Sure, give us an exa a recent example. So a recent example would, I mean, so 
a lot of people are wanting to have, I mean, like, there was a guy I spoke to literally last weekend who was, well, sorry, two weekends ago, who was talking about, he wanted to discuss um, Brexit, independence, um, he wanted to discuss um, the independence of universities and X, Y, and Z. And literally, I was there for about half an hour. That's a, part of a relatively unusual discussion. But for most people, they are wanting, they are talking about the fact that they may have maybe have, have been SNP in the past. They are talking about how they're disappointed in the SNP, particularly in the last year, and they want, but they are still waiting to be persuaded. And, and, and but while a lot of that conversation is about, they, they still, they still have the idea of independence as a as a potential future goal for Scotland. But what their priority right now is getting the Tories out of, of uh, out of Downing Street. And that is what is, is, is motivating them. So you, you end up in a situation where they're talking about a sort of a Lent vote. And I think that that is a really interesting point for, and I think that Anas touched on that today, was the idea that we've got a, I think we're going to have a lot of potential for Labour MSPs to be, uh, sorry, Labour MPs to be elected, but that is a Lent vote, very conditional on what happens next. And what happens in the 18 months, two years between the next general election and a Scottish parliamentary election is going to be so crucial. It could be, it could actually determine the future of Scot not just Scotland, but the whole United Kingdom. Um, last question for you, Kat, before we all go and get a drink. Um, uh, by the way, I've been on Scotland tonight with Kat a lot as well, Jeff, and she's never had a go at me like that. We've always had a very cordial <laughs> yeah, conversation. What was that so, you know, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> so it's always been better <laughs> together. You <laughs> Tory and Labour, it's <laughs> always the same. <laughs> Nothing changes. Uh, but look, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. So um, I uh, I go to political party conferences all the time. I've been to all all of them, apart from the Greens. Obviously, they don't invite me. I've, um, I've seen you stand but, outside uh, that one. And he's a Liberal Democrat. Than, yeah, yeah, no, I'm apparently a Liberal Democrat now. I'm everything. Party memberships and political party conferences of all parties are a dismal cross section of society. Right? They they do not represent a cross section of society well at all. These are people who who take three days off work and spend thousands of pounds to go and listen to politicians speak. Right? Terrible. <laughs> cross-section society. <laughs> However, what you do, what, 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 what you do at political Way party conferences. Our guest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been there. Don't worry, I've been there. Cat knows I've been I there. Yeah, we'll see one day. It's not so bad. <laughs> Lo lovely uh, folk. And when we're, uh, as I used to do, when I'm writing leader speeches for political party conferences, what you do is you take your policy platform and then you turn the volume up as high as possible so that the newspapers the next day can say you got 17 standing ovations for making what actually was a totally bollocks speech the day before. That is how party conferences work. <laughs> What was interesting about today's speech in that respect by Anas is he did not throw the Scottish Labour membership, the red meat, that us speechwriters usually throw our memberships at party conferences. Is that a good thing? Well, I think it is. As a normal person who's no longer a member of a political party, I think it's great. He, he, he spoke about the economy largely, um, and he spoke about growth. He even talked about potential tax cuts. This is not something that a Scottish Labour audience has a history of hearing from its leader. So I just wanted to ask you as your last question, what, uh, uh, did you notice that difference as well? He's not appealing to the room today in the way that uh, party conferences usually do. He's appealing well, well outside the room today, not to the room. Well, I have, I have to say, uh, it, it got to about an hour in, and I thought he's not. Make it stop. Like, uh, well, I, I thought he, he's not talking about the NHS yet. So, like, how long are we going to be here? I mean, because basically he'd been talking about the economy and growth and some really interesting policy ideas around planning reform, which sounds really niche, but actually, you know, that is going to resonate amongst the business community, amongst a lot of people in Scotland. So this, I think you're right, I think this wasn't the kind of usual speech that a Labour Party audience is used to hearing, but it was... It was, it was impressive. It, it was impactful. It was a, it was about actually signalling, not just about the general election. It was signalling about the the intent and the confidence of Anas Sarwar to be potentially be a first minister of Scotland in two years' time. Kat, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference. I will be delighted. To. We'll keep in touch, and thanks for listening too. Thank See you soon. If you don't want to hear these ads and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you can pay $4.99 a month and you'll never hear the ads again. Just press subscribe at the top of your feed and support the podcast that way.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Hollywood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with the Royal Bank of Scotland. The Royal Bank has been part of Scottish communities for almost 300 years, helping businesses thrive, growing the economy, supporting customers to manage their money and to fulfil their financial dreams. From the world's first overdraft to the first fully-fledged internet banking service, the Royal Bank of Scotland has always innovated to make banking easier for customers. Today, the Royal Bank supports around one in three Scottish businesses and is one of the largest banks in Scotland for personal customers. It also remains one of Scotland's largest private sector employers, contributing millions of pounds to the economy each year. As we approach the Royal Bank's third centenary in 2027, the bank's commitment to Scotland and to championing the potential of the people, families and businesses who call Scotland their home remains as strong as ever. This is Hollywood Sources. We are recording this evening at Scottish Labour Party Conference, courtesy of True North. Thanks, Jeff, for having us. Jeff's picking up the tab once again. This is what happened at SNP Conference. We're very glad to be here. And Luke, he's who's not, joined... He's not paid the tab yet, unfortunately, say again, say SNP Conference. He's not paid the tab from SNP from Conference SNP. <laughs> Not more SNP-related financial problems. <laughs> uh, Luke, who's... Don't, because you know I've had a few drinks and I'm going to... There's so many stop. jokes going through my head. He's right probably now. got the email for the invoice and deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> he forgot to record it in the records management system. Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar joins us. Hello. How are you? Sorry, I just thought I'd join in. No, no, without, good, uh, without your introduction, my apologies. I'm glad you joined again. Uh, it's Friday evening at Scottish Labour Conference. You gave your speech today on day one. How are you feeling? How was it in there in the room? I'm feeling really good. Look, it's uh, you'll all seen it yourself in terms of the the buzz at, at conference. It's actually our largest conference for 22 years as a, as a Scottish Labour Party. We've not had this many people register for conference and the scale and size of the number of stands, the number of fringe events and of course we had the Business Forum Day that went parallel to conference today. We've not had that since we were in government and so that in itself I think is a real sense of there's a, a mood of change not just in the Labour Party but in the, the wider country and I hope people can see the Labour Party is back in the pitch. It's serious and I hope that people believe it's moving in the right direction but feet in the ground still lots of work to do eh, and we're not being complacent about it. The point you make about feet in the ground is really interesting Anna, because I remember in 2006 uh, he going never in. talks about this, you know that. He never mentions what happened Jeff. between 2006 and 2006, <laughs> going into 2006 Jeff, Jeff as we were ready to uh, <laughs> 
humiliate the Labour Party. Uh, no, no. Uh, but I, I pay you a compliment, Jeff. I always say I am following the Jeff Aberdeen strategy of 2005, 2006, and 2007. I know. I always say that. Now, I'm going to miss out the Jeff Aberdeen bit, but I do say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come to that. But what I will say, and I will pay a compliment, I, that, and the, believe it or not, this is the first time I've never been. I've ever been at a conference not of the SNP, and and so what was really interesting. I've spoken to so many people today, members of the party, um, politicians of the party, and all of them have said the same thing. The message discipline is quite unreal. No, no, we take nothing for granted. Now this is the day after they've won two whopping by-elections down south. You might forgive them for feeling a wee bit of, uh, arrogant, up for you know a bit over overbearing in their views but they've not been and there's clearly a bit of message discipline and what it reminded me of is in 2006 and early 2007 we were exactly the same we sent out a big message to everyone to say look guys keep your feet on the ground as Anna said and so that gives me a sense that there's some organization here that perhaps wasn't there in the Labour Party previously let me tell you something I mean talk about message discipline and keeping your feet on the ground when I was at the Scottish Tories we always kept our feet on the ground when it came to electoral success I have to say I think your feet know, were kept on the ground for I you I know all they? about message discipline we never got carried away with 15% of the vote ever well, can, can I just say not being complacent and with feet on the ground it's still day one of conference we've got two days to go so let's hope we can keep that theme of message discipline eh, for the full three days but actually there's a wider point there Jeff. I think and I actually I think it relates to you're right about the SNP in the road to 2007. It probably from the last UK Labour conference, you got the same sense. And the converse of that, I think, at the last SNP conference and the last Tory conference, there is nothing more powerful than people believing you have a chance to win, to instill discipline in itself and that message discipline. And I think you can see it's a Labour Party, both across the UK and in Scotland, has got its mojo back. And nobody wants us to mess this up. Uh, we realise we have a huge opportunity and we can't miss this opportunity for change. The, uh, I, one thing I would say though, and I, um, I mean, I know from many times we've spoken in the past and asked that you do have your feet on the ground and I know that you know where the risks are and where the hurdles are. I think though the issue that you've got more is actually the narrative slipping away from you because of the general feeling that's going on in the country. So. Um, in some ways, I think people have an impression that Scottish Labour is in the same place as UK Labour, and it's not. UK Labour is 20 points ahead. Scottish Labour is not 20 points ahead. Scottish Labour is basically neck and neck and actually behind in more polls than it's ahead. So I think that message is really important to keep the feet on the ground, but sometimes at a kind of global level, it's more difficult to do that because people presume that Labour is flying away with it which it is at Westminster, but it's not at Holyrood. And that's quite hard to deal with in some cases. Really important, and you're absolutely correct about that, that look, we have got, we've had to come from even further behind than where the UK Labour Party was in terms of the last general election. You know, when I became leader, we were at 16% and the opinion polls were 32 points behind the SNP. So, of course, we made huge strides, but we've still got lots of work to do. There's a couple of things, though, I would, I would say within that. One is the UK polls will narrow. And if you look at the crude numbers, if we only return one Scottish Labour MP at the next general election, UK Labour has to beat the Tories by some 15 points. Whereas if we return, say, for example, just over 20 MPs in Scotland, UK Labour has to win by closer to six to eight points. That shows you how significant getting the right results are here in Scotland. But also to the wider point about not being complacent in that change, is look, people heard me say this openly before, and I'm happy to say it again. Getting Keir Starmer as Prime Minister is, of course, really important to me. Electing a UK Labour government is, of course, really important to me. That's my stepping stone. And I'm really clear about that. I'm really open about that. I said it at the UK Shadow Cabinet just a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, I believe the election of a UK Labour government is the stepping stone to trying to get change here in Scotland and electing a Scottish Labour government. And that's another reason why we have to keep our feet firmly on the ground. This is a two-stage process of change. We don't just get all the change we need just in one general election. If, if Sunak pulls out a surprise win, which is, you know, 90% unlikely, but you just never know. If Sunak wins, can you still win, or do you think it's over for Scottish Labour at that point for 2026? 
Look, ultimately, you can't judge what the mood music will be after the election. And I think there is also a scunner factor that I know Jeff has spoken about previously. Which Thanks is for listening. Which is, I'm a regular listener of <laughs> Hollywood yeah. Sources. Even though I've heard Andy make the same argument for 15 years, I still <laughs> listen in every week faithfully to make sure I continue to hear that message. And I agree with his message. 95% of everything Andy says is absolutely correct. But earlier, still, we have to have this conversation now. But he's still upset that I don't agree with that last uh, 5%. I've forgotten the train of the question We'll now. talk about that. We'll would, talk would, about you, that. would you win if Rishi Sunak oh, yeah, uh, no, so, so wins another term? So, so, I, so look, I think you have, to make, you have to wait and see what would happen in that circumstance in terms of how people feel about the SNP government, considering people are now looking at the record, not just looking at the constitutional question. But I think it's undoubtedly the case, and it's always been my view, that... Um, if you want to make that election victory possible in 2026, the best chance of that and the best foreground for that would be if we elect a UK Labour government because it takes away the bogeyman of the Conservatives in that election campaign. That's the first thing. And the second thing it does, if you actually look at what the Conservatives were polling in Scotland pre the referendum, what they've been polling post the referendum, okay, they might be sitting about 17% in the opinion polls right now. So I think for all the progress we have made, there is still a slither of people who will continue to back the Conservatives because they view them as the guardians of the United Kingdom. If Labour is, becomes a UK government, becomes the guardian of the United Kingdom, still trying to change the United Kingdom because it's far from perfect, then I think there is more scope for us to leech off more support there, as well as persuading people who are currently thinking about voting SNP to vote Labour because they want that change here in Scotland and are frustrated with the SNP's record. One of, one of the other things, if I may, uh, that we talk about a lot on the podcast in relation to Hamza Yusuf as First Minister, and this is a point that Jeff and Andy make, is that he struggled to define his vision and what he stands for and what his thing is. What do we know Hamza Yusuf for? Do you feel you are defining yourself as a potential First Minister now? Well, the, the, the work has started and I've still got more work to do. I'm not pretending for a second that that job is done. It's a journey, it's a process, but I think anyone can see from where people viewed us three years ago and where they view us now is a huge leap forward, but we've still got work to do. But there's another point, I think, when you mentioned the SNP strategy, and again, proving that I'm an avid listener of the podcast, I actually agree with Jeff, and it's terrible I'm agreeing with Jeff so often. <laughs> you know politics has changed when I'm on the same side as former Alex Salmon, Chief well, of Staff, Jeff Aberdeen. But honestly, see when Hamza Youssef said that Labour's guaranteed to win the next general election and therefore Scotland essentially doesn't matter and Scottish seats won't matter, it was hand on heart, hand on heart, it was a gift. And the reason why it's a gift is my biggest challenge in 2023 for all the shambles of the Tories has been persuading people in Scotland that Labour can win. And persuading people that Labour can win is in itself a huge help in persuading people to join us on the journey. That's one part. And the second thing is, and, and again, uh, friends in the SNP will, will, will know this, is if you look back at the election in 2011 and you look at the election in 2015, because of the momentum that was being built about who was going to win those elections, even people that didn't support independence, either in 2011, or even people who merely months prior had voted no in a referendum, still voted SNP because they wanted to be on the winning side. So our job is to persuade people we can, can, can win, we've got to persuade them what we do if we do win, and then our challenge is to make sure we're keeping those people and persuading even more in the run-up to 2026 because Okay, we change some things when we get rid of the Tories and that in itself is really, really good. But if you want to change the NHS, you want to change our education system, you want to change our skill system, you want change around housing, you want change in every single public sector right across the institution across the country, then that change ultimately comes in 2026 if we elect a different Scottish government. I just want to come in here. Um, sadly, I'm going to agree with Anderson what you just said about that particular uh, point because I've said it on the podcast, so I can't disagree with myself now because I look stupid. <laughs> but I want to just say I read a lot of your speech today, it was a good speech. And um, you said in a certain section, it really kind of struck me uh, when you said uh, the, the problem with what we've had before, I'm paraphrasing, is a social justice government in Scotland. We haven't had a, an economic policy government in Scotland. That is a speech that my former boss, Alex Salmond, could have made. Quite simply. In fact, I just checked, as you probably saw, I wasn't being rude, I was Googling. 
almost the exact words were used in a 2007 speech. Is that a, a compliment? Uh, yes, because he won an election and, and I want us to win. Um, and so I, d I didn't know he'd made that in the, uh, in the speech, but I, I know the, the, the work that the SNP did in the run 2007 to engage with the business community, to engage with the third sector, to be out there looking at the different demographics of Scotland, looking to build that connection, build that relationship. And of course, we're doing much uh, of that same uh, work. But the point I make about the uh, social policy, part, rather than using the phrase social justice, I was talking about social policy. And actually, I've been attacked, I've been attacked for this numerous times uh, in Holyrood and indeed, as you can imagine on Twitter and in the in the national, if that if that counts for anything. Um, <laughs> but that you know, I've been attacked numerous times as if somehow me saying that we haven't had enough economic policy means you're against social policy. It's actually something much, much more fundamental than that. And I think this is where the Greens and the SNP have got it wrong. And if I'm honest, our party has got it wrong in recent years as well too. And that is we of course have to deliver social change we of course have to deliver social justice we of course have to deliver social policy but you only get to do that if it's backed up with a strong growing economy and if you ignore economic policy if you don't deliver economic growth you do not improve our public services right so come on before you go we've danced around we've danced around a little bit earlier oh, a few no. minutes ago I love dancing. We my, tonight, uh, are we? my my spectator column this morning which you agree with some of and not others of <laughs> so in, in 2021 you got 18 19 percent of the vote if you're gonna if you're gonna move house into St Andrews uh, Charlotte Square in a couple of years time, you're gonna need double that, and you're gonna get it from two places. You're gonna get it from people who were voting Tory because they thought it was the safest bet in the union. You've got them back already for all the reasons you identified before, but you need people. But, but I, I take the, the broader point of the argument. Yeah. Absolutely. But then you need people to transfer from the SNP, what I would call soft nationalists, and you know that I think. To get them, you need some sort of message on what a better, more loose union looks like with more devolution either to the Scottish Parliament or to the regions of Scotland from the Scottish Parliament. Are we in the same place on that? I, I, I don't disagree with that. I would just add a couple of things, though. If you look at January polls January 2023 and you look at polls January 2024, actually the Tory share of the vote in those polls has not changed. If it has changed, it's changed plus or minus by one or two percent, but it's fundamentally not changed. In that same time though, the SNP share of the vote has fallen considerably and our vote has gone up. So this idea that we aren't currently persuading former SNP voters to vote Labour is not true. We are doing that work. Where you're right is I think we've got to a certain point, but we've got to go beyond that. The tipping point in Scottish politics is around 35% in terms of share of the vote. We are in some polls for Westminster at that tipping point. Sometimes Some people have us a point above, some people have us a point or two below. For the Scottish Parliament, that's actually the tipping point as well, but we're about three, four, three points or four points b b behind on that. But I think our key challenge is, yes, I accept the premise, we have to strengthen and reset devolution. But a key part of that is also making sure that between 2024 and 2026, you have a UK Labour government that's not going to be able to fix everything straight away, isn't going to be making every single decision right in terms of people's happiness, but are we're able to point to at least four or five things that people can see has been, meant tangible change for them here in Scotland. And then we say, if that's what we could do with one arm of government, imagine what more we could do with the other arm. Because I think, Actually, if you think about the election in 2026, it will fundamentally come down to one question. Yes, it'll be about people think about the UK Labour government. Yes, people will think about whether the SNP's record at that point for 20 years is good or not. But I think ultimately the question that will decide the answer to that election is, do you think Scotland gets more by electing a government that wants to fight with the UK government? Or do you think you get more if you have a government that wants to work with the UK government. If we can persuade people that the answer to that question is working with, not fighting with, then I think we win that election. If we lose that argument, then I think it's still in the balance. Totally excited that one before you go, and I know you've got to rush off. I'm so grateful for your time. What one power would you like to see the Scottish <laughs> government have power, the Scottish Parliament have power over ahead of 2026 that you'd like to campaign on? I'll give you two. 
Not just one, I'll give you two. Five. <laughs> <laughs> give me them all. One, one, I know Jeff wants them all. Exactly, that's right. yeah, that's the problem. He's going to he keep going. He wants them all. The first one is, I think there are more issues around enhanced borrowing that we can deliver for the Scottish Parliament. Um, and so, look, we've got to be consistent with the fiscal rules, uh, but we also have to look at the scope of what we can do here in Scotland, particularly if you think about those big investments we need to make. For example, in the transition issue, uh, I know you care deeply about it, and I'm surprised you've not been ribbing me about it so far, Jeff, <laughs> given your obsession. Uh, and the second one is actually around immigration. So I think we can maintain a single UK Home Office. I think we can maintain a single UK Border Agency, but we have demonstrated once before that if you have two governments that are willing to cooperate with each other, you can find a Scottish solution to a Scottish problem. And I want us to build towards a fresh talent too between 2024 and 2026. That means we can find that solution. Jeff's nodding, he's happy. I've persuaded him. I should probably, listen, I should probably, listen, listen, listen before I go, before I go, well, I should tell an exclusive. I'll remain here for an hour. I should share an exclusive. I should share an exclusive for this podcast. Oh, please do. When I was in Aberdeen, an event hosted by Jeff, he made me a promise. He said that if GB Energy was headquartered in Scotland, he would join the Labour Party. Now the Jeff's question is this, the yeah. question is this, has he strengthened the case or weakened the case <laughs> for headquartered GB Energy in Aberdeen? That's well, a question other people will be asking. Well, I, would ask, I would answer it this way by saying, how important am I to your future party aspirations, <laughs> Anas? So if I'm really that important, I'll join the Labour Party if you put GB Energy in Aberdeen. It's oh, a bad night for you if you He's making the case again. He's making <laughs> the case very strongly. He's making the very strong case. <laughs> this, watch this. It'll be the papers tomorrow as the vow too. That's what's going to happen. Thanks, here. Anas. Brilliant. My pleasure. Thank Anna's you so much. Well, Thank you so thank much. You. My thank pleasure. You, thank you. My pleasure. Uh, right, in the corner now on the comfy sofas is Gina Davidson from LBC. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. Good. How's, nice to be here. Well, it's lovely to speak to you. How was day one? From a journalist's point of view, what stood out for you? Well, I think really what stood out for me, and I'm sure Anna Sarbo will not want to hear this, is how busy it is. We can maybe get on to talk about what Anas was saying, but I think this is a Labour conference that I haven't seen for very long time and um, I mean I was at conferences when Kezi was uh, leader when Richard Leiner was leader and you know there were they were empty exhibition halls particular business wasn't around this is very very different a very different feel one thing that we've been reflecting on the podcast is that actually, why aren't Labour doing better in Scotland? The SNP have had an absolute chaotic year, tumultuous, we all know the ins and outs of that. So is there a, is there a feeling of why are they not doing better at this point? Uh, that's a good question, I think quite possibly, and I think those polls just in the last week they have shown the SNP maybe widening the gap again um, have been very interesting. You do get the feeling that maybe that ship is beginning to steady a bit, um, but of course... If the election isn't until October, possibly November time, that's a long time. And there are still many uh, tremors left to be felt, I think, for the SNP from um, Nicholas Sturgeon's resignation just a year ago. So we'll see how that goes. But I think you're right. I think there is still cut through needed from Anas um, to the Scottish public, but also from Keir Starmer. I think he's, he has been in Scotland a lot since he became leader. You know, I think they're very aware that they need to do well at the general election in Scotland. He does want to, and he said it many times, be a Prime Minister for the whole UK. So he will have to, to do well. But let's face it, for Labour, getting, you know, 20 MPs potentially, it would be amazing for them. And I just want to come in on that very point, uh, Gina, because one of the things that I would be critical slightly of the, the Labour Party for being is not managing expectations. I said this in a previous podcast. You just said that 20 MPs would be astonishing. Of course it would be astonishing because that, they're coming from one elected member at the previous election. And yet you get the sense that, you know, there was the words unstoppable used today. And I thought that was a little bit of a mistake. And I wish I'd actually put that to Anna mm. earlier when I didn't get the chance to, because I think if he... If if he manages expectations at a level of saying 15, 16, 17 seats, we know they're going to get that. And you always want to surpass expectations in politics. You don't want to uh, overpromise and underdeliver. And so I think that's really important for the Labour Party going forward. They don't want to carry it away in that sense in Scotland. Yes, we know what's going on in the rest of the UK, but the SNP are showing a bit of resilience in the polls just now. And I hope, and I hope that they don't do that for their own sake. 
were saying there about the music choice was really interesting. Yes, we walked on to see her. Oh, I mean, it's a banger. It's a huge tune. You know, it's fantastic. Great on the treadmill. Like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about no complacency. I thought we were talking about caution. And you're unstoppable. You know, I, was, I, I don't think that was the right choice. Although, obviously, the hall loved it. The well, crowd loved it. And that's what he was aiming for, I think, to, to G everybody up. But at the same time, interestingly, hearing Ed Miliband on the stage in the morning saying, ignore the polls, work hard, ignore the polls, just get out there and work. I spoke to Jim Murphy, who's obviously been here too at this business conference. Similar story from him. Just have to get heads down and get working if we're going to actually see any of those polls come to fruition and just to try and ignore it. But I think you're right, Jeff. I think expectation management is really important for Labour. Gina, really good to see you. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Yes. Uh, go and have some more free drinks. Margarita too. <laughs> uh, Gina Davidson from LBC, thank just you. Just have a water, please. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff's seen all these people just lighting up at the bar. Again, where do they all come from? They hear free drinks, Jeff, and they hear Jeff Aberdeen, and that's that. And, of course, the lesson is when you spend your time at the bar getting Gina or Margarita, you don't actually join the Gina part of the podcast. Is that what's so just happened? Go. That's what's just happened. And he's just got you a margarita. I'm sure, I'm sure it was excellent, though, Gina, I have to say. I will, I'll listen tomorrow when it drops into my subscribed feed. <laughs> Nicely done, Andy. He doesn't need to be in there. <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the Hollywood Sources podcast. Our second outing to the pub at Party Conference, which I think is just going very, very well. Uh, let's welcome the pollster, Mark Diffley, to Hollywood Sources. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I'm all good right. To see How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. It's been uh, a good day. We want to try to understand a bit of the polling. There have been any number of polls regarding Scottish politics yeah. published over the last few weeks. What trends can you pick out from them for us? Because some of them are showing quite different things to one another. They are, and we won't. I don't think this is, a, I don't think this is the uh, point to get into the kind of technicalities of it. They are showing... Broadly different things. I mean, I think if you take a step back, the two parties are pretty much neck and neck. So the SNP right? and Labour. The SNP and Labour, yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's the story here. I think what you need to, I think what people need to bear in mind is that with with any election, you don't start from a zero position, right? You start with what happened last time. So in other words, the, the, the Labour could finish three or four points behind the SNP. The SNP could be the biggest party. But Labour could still pick up 15, 20 or more seats, which actually is the prize here, right? Mm. So, it, for me, if, 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 if the SNP are a few points ahead of Labour, or Labour a few points ahead, it's kind of immaterial. The point here is about who's in government in Westminster at the end of this year. And if Scottish Labour can contribute 20, 25 seats to that, that's going to make Starmer's life a hell of a lot easier. It's interesting talk. Go on, Jeff. I know we're at Labour Party conference, but I did want to ask you a question about the SNP quite specifically, and just wonder if you've done any particular polling or uh, attitude kind of survey to uh, independence in this context. Because I did notice the other night that the party political broadcast from the SNP didn't mention independence. Are you picking up anything that that is just not what people are focusing on just now, and they just don't want to hear about it? You know, for me, I think that's correct, right? So people like me put polls out saying, you know, what's on your mind at the moment? What worries you? What are the key things that are kind of going to uh, drive how you vote? Independence is nowhere on that, right? So maybe one in ten, if that, people say spontaneously that I think independence will drive my vote. And it's presumably that's changed quite dramatically, yeah, has it? Yeah, it's changed yeah. pretty dramatically. Yeah. So if I'm the SNP, I also don't, at this stage anyway, I don't probably make a, a, a huge amount of it, right? Um, and I think for what it's worth, and I know we're at Labour conference, I think Anas has probably done a pretty good job, and he did it today, I was in his speech, at his speech, of saying what this year is about is getting rid of the Tories. Nothing else really matters at this stage. Which is what and, the SNP have been saying. Well, it's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, no, no fair enough. But... Yeah. but I think that is having some... We're, we're seeing some of that in, in, in the polling, for sure. So, I mean, a couple of things on that, right? I, I suppose that... And that is a... I think it's fair to say that is a perfect explanation of why independence polling remains very strong, but SNP polling is weakening, because if you ask people the isolated question of yes or no to independence, they'll still say yes, but it's nowhere near the priority list anymore, which is why they're not necessarily focusing on the political party objective to achieve, achieving that. I think, though, um, so effectively what you're saying, I think, Mark, is that 
um, Labour are more likely to win the most seats on a lower vote share than the reverse is true. The SNP are not likely to win the most seats yeah. on a lower vote share, but Labour could win the most seats on a lower vote share because of the urban uh, um, bias towards that. What though, because what this is really about in Anna Sarwar's world, it's not actually about Westminster, as he's, uh, you know, as as he said many times before. It's actually about the sort of stepping stone, and it's about Holyrood. So I, I know it's I know it's miles out, and I know that the, the general election will have a big impact on it as well. But what's your analysis as to how things are looking in Holyrood terms, in terms of Labour's likelihood as things stand to actually return and ask Sarwar as first minister? So here's here's, here's Labour's problem, right? Labour's problem is that in Scotland is that. They'll win 20, 25 seats this year. But you dig into the polls and you see one really interesting thing that's happening, right? Which is that the Labour's increased vote share has happened almost equally between disaffected Tories and disaffected SNP voters, right? So about one in five people that voted Tory in Scotland in 2019 are now going to vote Labour. And about one in five SNP voters uh, from 2019 are also going to vote Labour, right? That's what's, that's what's driving... Um, that's what's driving increased Labour support, which is fine. You'll get over the line, you'll get 20 seats, whatever. That's a really difficult tent to then keep together. It's huge. How are you going to keep them all happy? Ah, the broadest in, church. In 2026. I, I, I actually, I think it's a really big question. Now, if I'm Amos, in the background, of course, I'm worried about that probably. I'm thinking about it. I'm planning what I'm going to say. At this stage, as you will have talked to him tonight. That doesn't matter, right? At least publicly. It's, this year, it's just the focus is just getting rid of the Tory government. But he's going to inherit a huge challenge after this because there are... He's going to have... Everyone... People that voted Labour throughout is going to have a whole load of Tory vote, disaffected Tory voters driven to Labour because of the trust budget in 2022. You can see it in the polling, right? And then you've got the disaffected SNP voters as well. Keeping that together for 2026 is really, really difficult to do. Mark, I know you hate these types of questions, but our listeners love them. So if the election was tomorrow, based on what you know and all the research and waiting you've done, give us an indication of how the general election falls in Scotland in terms of seats. Uh, I think that I, I think Labour would pick up about 20, 25 seats in Scotland. Wow. I'm, I'm wow. That's a neck and neck. Because the SNP will also pick up 2025 most likely as well. Well, yeah, possibly. I mean, there's one big thing here, which is Rutherglen, right? I mean, Rutherglen at the end of last year, that's an actual... Real-life example. That's a real-life example. That actually happened, right? And you speak to... I've spoken to loads of prospective Labour candidates in here tonight and at conference today. And I think one of the big things here is not just about getting SNP voters to vote Labour. It's apathy. It's SNP voters staying at home yeah. is going to be a huge, huge issue. And we saw that in loads in Rutherglen, right? Okay, so that's a big deal. And some of these seats are so marginal, you just need a tiny number of SNP voters to stay at home and Labour's home and dry. And, and this is really important as well. So for Labour, it's not just about winning, having a winning message. It's about the SNP motivating voters sufficiently. You know what happened in 2017, right? They didn't, they didn't do it. They didn't get the vote out. And 2024, that's, the, that is, that's as big an issue as losing voters to Labour, I would, I would argue, for sure. Mark, you've timed it very well, because I've just put something, I think it's potato in my mouth. But thank you very much. I think it's fish. Is it Mark, fish? You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Another party conference podcast at the pub survived. Thank you to Jeff. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to all of our guests who came on tonight. You heard from Anna Sarwar. What do you make of it? Email us hello at hollywoodsources.com. And if you want more political insight, more political discussion, follow the podcast, subscribe to it. And don't forget, get your tickets. 25 years of devolution. We have got a huge lineup. We've already announced Jack McConnell, Alex Salmond, Henry McLeish, the first three guests to be announced for 25 years of devolution. Obviously, three former First Ministers of Scotland. Get your tickets now. Go to hollyroodsources.com forward slash live. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode from Glasgow, and we will speak to you next week.